So let's begin with a story today, a fictional story by the entrepreneur and motivational storyteller Zig Ziglar, told many years ago. A woman meets with an attorney and says, mm, I think I might need a divorce. Okay, the attorney responds, let's start with a few questions. Like what, she said. Well, do you have any grounds? Well, we have about five acres out in the country. No, no, no. I mean, do you have a grudge? No, but we have a nice wide carport and a storage shed. Let me ask you in a different way. Do you have any complaints about him? Like what? Does he beat you up? No, I'm up at least an hour before him every day. Well, what about your role here? Do you ever wake up grouchy? No, when he's in a bad mood, I just let him sleep. <laughs> Exasperated, the attorney finally asks, why exactly do you think you want a divorce? Well, she replied, the guy just can't communicate. <laughs> now, all of us have had situations where our relationships were seriously jeopardized because of poor communication. Perhaps so much so that we thought that we needed to leave a situation because there was nothing more we thought could be done. Good communication is one of the keys to life. When it's healthy and there's open dialogue, there can be harmony. But when there is discord or people can't quite grasp what is happening, frustration quickly sets in. One aspect of our passage today is about communication. How we listen to the God who speaks to us. The God who reveals truth. The God who hopes we understand. And when we don't, would seek him. Israel's having a difficult time comprehending why they're under judgment. Although they've been Although they have shown that they are pretty done, though, with God and God's leadership, he is not done with them. They have deeper issues than how they talk to one another, of course. But in this passage, Yahweh is pointing out various postures that people have taken with him, and those postures have spoken loudly. So today we are reading Isaiah 29, 11 through 24. Our special emphasis will be on 11 through 16. The vision of all of this has become for you like the words of a sealed document. If it is given to those who can read with the command, read this, they say, we cannot because it is sealed. And if it is given to those who cannot read, saying, read this, they say, we cannot read. The Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. So I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing. The wisdom of their wise shall perish and the discernment of the discerning will be hidden. Woe to those who hide a plan too deep for the Lord whose deeds are in the dark, who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? Shall the thing made um, of its, say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed, say of the one who formed it, he has no understanding? 
Shall not Lebanon in a very little while become a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be regarded as a forest? On that day the deaf shall hear the words of the scroll, and freed from gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy from the Lord, and the neediest people shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. For the tyrant shall be no more, and the scoffer shall cease to be. All those alert to do evil shall be cut off. Those who cause a person to lose a lawsuit, who set a trap for the arbiter in the gate, and undermine justice for the one in the right. Therefore, says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, no longer shall Jacob be ashamed. No longer shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who err in spirit will come to understanding and those who grumble will accept instruction. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we invite you to speak to us. To ask questions of us. To search our hearts. And to shape our lives. Amen. When we read, when we read all of chapter 29, there is strong evidence of how the Lord and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, here called Ariel, are missing one another as they try to connect. Early in the chapter, when God brings judgment, the people respond. The people speak. They lament. Isaiah says that when God encamps against them, they will moan in low, guttural sounds as if they are in pain. But it will come out like the whisper of a ghost. Because of their arrogance, God will then show up like thunder and lightning, communicating fierceness and awe, which is then directed at the nations who also oppose Israel. Communication matters in every relationship, especially the one that we have with God. In all of this time, Yahweh is practically begging the people to turn to him to choose to put him first, and the people just can't, or they won't, or they don't understand what is being asked of them. But God will not let go. And in the verses that we focus in on, I want to just focus in on the three pictures that we see here. In each of them, God is saying how he has given everything, but he can't force the people to be different. This is actually a deep irony because Yahweh actually could force them to be obedient, but he will not. He could, in all kinds of ways, hold their hands behind their back until they cry out for mercy. And maybe you think, well, yeah, but isn't God actually doing that through judgment? Perhaps. But when we think about what truly oppressive regimes on earth look like, either from history or from today, we understand that that is not the case. Under a human dictator who cares nothing for other people, only for themselves, who rule from fear and give very little freedom, God gives grace upon grace for those whom he loves, for those he's created. Each person is free to choose how they worship. And there are repercussions for turning against the Lord. But we have a God who wants to keep connection and who keeps holding out hope. 
So from verses 11 through 16, let's just look at the three different communication dynamics between Yahweh and his people. Verses 11 and 12 are up on the screen, as you see. So here we see how the vision Isaiah is giving has become inaccessible to the people, has become impossible for them to decipher. God has stopped giving access is what they think. Either they can't open it or they can't read it. That's part of the judgment. And it reminds me of how when we are angry with someone or when a relationship is in a bad place, maybe we're fighting with someone, and one party just closes down. Maybe to punish. Maybe because they can't be vulnerable anymore because it doesn't feel safe. Maybe they just like feel like nothing matters. They just have to be done for now. Now this isn't saying that God is withholding truth on purpose. It's saying that the vision God is giving has become like the words in a sealed document. Impossible to understand. The inhabitants of Jerusalem have rejected the guidance God has given, so now they are blinded because of their own choices. And this reminds us how there are concepts and truths in Scripture that are hard for us to decipher. There are theological positions which various parts of the church hold from Scripture, and sometimes we struggle to know, are those positions from God? In these instances, we often can do one of two things. We can give up because it just takes too much time. Yeah, whatever. Or we can go with what we want to be true, influenced by strong voices around us. But God expects that we would earnestly seek truth. That's part of the covenant that the people aren't holding up. They're part of the bargain of knowing the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. But oftentimes, and I count myself in this, we are lazy. We're glad when other people tell us what scripture says. We're happy to do a shallow search or just not think about something. Last week we talked about being glad when something doesn't require much of us. But that's one of our issues with God, isn't it? Because God requires everything. God requires that we bring all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength to know him, all of our curiosity, all of our wonder, all of our doubts. You see, just as God has a long, God has a longing for us to spend time with him. God has a longing for us. We talk about how we are made for God and we have a longing for that which is eternal and forever and true. But God has a longing for us. Just as a parent loves their child and always wants the chance to be with them, God delights in the time that we make to see him. There's so much that Jesus wants to teach you. So much that Jesus wants to show you. So much understanding and hope and insight. Do you ever think about how much God longs for you? just to come to him and just spend time with him. No agenda, just coming and being with him. Sometimes, you know, you guys, some of you have little kids, 
and you post like your stuff on you know Instagram or Facebook and I love watching that. Your little kids are so much fun. I miss that stage so much. God just wants us to come and just be with him. He just delights in like watching us explore things and learn things and know things and enjoy the world that he has given us to make. The message of Isaiah is that the people acted like the document that God was giving them was sealed against them because they were going their own way. But here God is trying to keep the channels open. Verses 13 and 14 up on the screen also. There's strong communication in these verses. Basically, God is saying how the people have started giving them lip service. Lip service is a term that comes to the human population in the 1640s, so says the Oxford Dictionary that knows everything. It means verbal but insincere expression of agreement or support. Now, of course, this actually came from, the etymology comes from religious contexts where it was used to describe prayers that were spoken out loud but not felt in the heart. Other synonyms include empty words, platitudes, and hollow promises. All talk and no action. Now, this is very common, of course, in most generations and most cultures. Jesus hits this hard in his teaching, telling the spiritual leaders of the day that they were whitewashed tombs who looked good on the outside but were actually rotting on the inside. And here Yahweh isn't actually saying anything that strongly. Instead, God is pointing out how their worship had become rote. They show up, but their hearts are engaged elsewhere. Now, business coaches keep telling us how showing up is so important. If we're going to achieve anything, showing up, it's true. We're not going to succeed whether we are an artist or a stay-at-home parent or a plumber or whatever it is that we do, if we aren't there, we're not doing the job. But how we show up is just as important as showing up someplace, amen? That's what God is saying. We can spend time with a friend and be completely checked out. We can go to an event and be on our phone. We can come into the sanctuary and have our hearts be completely elsewhere. Now, we know that this is a constant battle for us, and it isn't actually about all the diversions that are available to us today. Truthfully, it's because we're human. And having our heart engaged fully all the time is pretty much impossible. And that's why it's so important each day to take time in silence. Breathing and just being a person before the Lord, not who you are what you do in your day job, not what your roles are in your family or your social circles, just honestly coming before the Lord and examining your heart. That's why it's helpful to be accountable to other people, other people who are in the faith. It's good to seek counsel when we feel far from the Lord or when we have doubts. Why we continue to show up asking God to speak to us, who promises to always show up when we do. In this case, God indicates how the people were not interested in spending time with him, really, or changing 
They communicated loudly how they felt about God by worshiping in just a predictable kind of way, by going through the motions, and that was hurtful to the Lord. In other places in this section, Isaiah says how the people thought that they could fool God as if he couldn't see them. And this scripture is a reminder about how we all need to fight our lethargy, our indifference, our thinking that we know everything that there is to know about God. In response, God says he's going to do shocking things. Those aren't good things. People are going to cease to have wisdom. They're not going to be able to tell the difference between what is holy and what is not. Those who are so wise will be surprised to find that they are not. And we think about how relevant that is to where we are today. And so we just stop and ask the Lord, what is my heart communicating, God, to you when I am in worship? God, I've showed up, but am I really present? It's a good question for all of us. The last verses, 15 and 16. Here is where the people communicate they believe God can't see them, or maybe they know that God can see them, but they don't want to think very much about what that means. This is a woe that we've talked about before, a sorrow for those who act in this way. Now Isaiah chastises them for thinking that they are on the same level as God. And one commentator, Dr. Paul Wegner, said this in his chapter um, about Isaiah 29. In the ancient world, no other god was said to have created the entire universe. This is a good reminder for us. There were gods of different parts of creation, which was said to be the work of various deities. By contrast, the biblical text pictures Yahweh as the sole creator who made everything for his pleasure and for the enjoyment of the creation. God is the sole creator who cannot be manipulated or bribed as some other gods of that time. Here the people are communicating by hiding their fear and their pride. John Stott said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. When we read these verses, we see that they are all about pride. According to scripture and all of the great spiritual leaders in every strain of the church, Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant, everyone has taught that pride is the root of all sin. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Of all of the sins listed in scripture, he says, they are mere flea bites in comparison to the sin of pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil Pride leads to every other vice, Lewis says, because it is the complete anti-God state of mind. It's pride that has been the cause of misery, Lewis says, in every nation, in every family, in every life since the world began. Do we hide like the people here are doing because we're afraid? Or do we hide because of our pride? Does pride lead to fear or the other way around? What do you think? In this context, the people are hiding and arrogantly boasting how God can't see them. And God calls them out and says, hey, 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 remember, I'm the potter. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who's remaking you in my image. I am the source of your lives. 
And we think about Adam and Eve and how they hid, saying that they were afraid, but it was after the act of pride left them to defy God's clear message to them. And God here is being reduced to what the people make of him instead of being willing to be formed by him. This is kind of a weird thing to say, but I was thinking about how people laugh about this kind of sometimes when they talk about their dogs. Stay with me. (laughs) No, I don't have a dog, but sometimes people will say to me, yeah, I took my dog to training because this dog was just like out of control. Um, But, you know, they just continue to be in charge because they've trained me. Sometimes this also happens with children when we're afraid of how they're going to react, and so we don't discipline them. So then they become in charge, and they run the house. Yahweh is saying there is a natural order. God is the maker of heaven and earth, the cosmos, the grandeur of creation. So it's ridiculous to assert how we as finite humans are in charge of God. But that's what the people are saying. That's what we say when we reject God's authority. The picture of the potter and the clay is an apt metaphor of who we are in relation to God as our maker. So I want you just to think about that picture for just a minute because it's such a good one. Even if you don't do pottery, you can imagine the jar, the clay going around on the thing. And I want you to think about God as the potter in your life. God intentionally formed your inmost being. And he wants to lovingly make us like him throughout our lives. It's a beautiful relationship if we're willing to be malleable to become what God wants us to be, believing his understanding is the best. The inverses just give us hope for the future. I'm not really going to talk about them very much, but they are the hope part of chapter 29. One day the deaf will hear and the blind will see. Even those who scoff and who have become tyrants will change. One day those who have turned from God will praise and stand in awe of him. Those who lived in error will come to understand and accept instruction. One day, this is consistent with scripture, all people will communicate and respect and honor of the Lord. That day is not today. However, we can choose now to be humble before the Lord. We can choose this day to seek the Lord earnestly and sincerely with all that we are, to be attentive to the spirit in worship, to put Jesus in the rightful place of power as we live in obedience. This chapter is about being responsive to God in every way that we can be. We communicate to the Lord all the time what we think about him and who we believe him to be. In the fictional story about the woman who wanted a divorce, what was being highlighted was her lack of awareness of her own communication while complaining about her husband's communication. In this chapter, God is attempting to help his children see how their lives are speaking volumes to him while they complain about him. So what does that mean for us? What does the Holy Spirit say to us through his word this morning? 
in all of the judgment talk that we've been having in Isaiah so far, I want to just take a moment and encourage us for how God wants to live in constant and sweet communion with you all the time. Choose to hear these words, not as punishing, but as inspiring for the scope of relationship that the Savior is offering for you. That is a beautiful and amazing reality. And every day we have the opportunity to let go of our inertia and our pride so that we can be fully connected with the God who makes us and wants to form us and wants to fill us because that's what we want as well. And the way we find contentment and peace is to know God more. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.